Welcome to ER, the Enlightened Revolution. I've entitled today's remarks, The History of Our Food. And this is a very brief uh, addition to the, uh, the rules of, of, of daily living uh, section in the Enlightened Revolution uh, podcast set. Uh, the idea being to get people to think uh, very often of things they already know, but which uh, there are so many voices uh, inviting a perhaps more enticing, but not useful, and indeed quite the opposite of useful, uh, kind of, of attitude and thought process. Uh, we become consumed... Uh, with foods that are stimulating and addictive, and we have uh, lost almost completely the ability to eat food which is just nourishing. And I'm invoking a scripture here uh, from Ecclesiastes, and I do not have the chapter and verse in front of me, but I have the the words memorized. Uh, It says... uh, Blessed are the people when the princes eat for strength and not for drunkenness. And here we have a rare modern person, a rare modern person who's actually eating for the sake of nourishment instead of indulgence. And we have people who are so far removed from eating for nourishment instead of indulgence that they literally can't tell the difference between the craving for an addiction and an actual physiological need, an actual nutritional need. And so uh, they begin to think, well, I'm craving uh, ice cream or a milkshake. There, There must be something in there I need. Well, yes, there's something in there you need if you want to continue to support the addicted brain chemistry then you desperately need it. And of course, your gut is every bit as active neurologically as your brain is. In fact, there are more neural synapses in your gut than there are in your brain. And so it becomes a sort of deep-rooted deception, and it is registered in the brain stem and the old part of the brain. It is not registered necessarily in the cerebrum at all, so it's not the sort of thing we have a lot of command over or an understanding of exactly the subtleties of uh, nutrition for nutritional value versus food for addictive value. And uh, so many people simply don't know the difference, and yet there is very little... uh, we can do to overstate this matter. Uh, The truth is, the fact is, our uh, our habit of eating for addiction sets us up in every way to be consumed by indulgence and passion rather than managing our lives based on what is best. And I, I don't believe that you can find Uh, more than about 1% of the struggles, troubles, difficulties, and trials humans go through that cannot be traced uh, 
that cannot be traced to uh, the the habit or pattern of doing things based on indulgence rather than based on judging what is best. So in other words, if we were to make every decision based on what is really best, and if our judgment was sound, I'm suggesting that only about 1%, maybe 5%, but I doubt that very much, of the suffering we now endure would be found in our lives. And I'm talking about everything from our personal economy to our health, to the relationships in our families, to the judgments we make when recreating that get us either injured or not, to political choices we make, to how easily flim-flammed we are by a corrupt and deceptive media. I'm talking about every aspect of humanity. I'm talking about everything we do, how we treat the environment, what kind of houses we build, um, what kind of choices we make to better our future. Every single thing, as far as I can tell, is affected significantly by that pattern. And uh, I, I don't know how one could disagree with this, really. If, if the instinct was locked into, what can I do best with this day? I think we would find a very different world uh, if, if our judgment was sound. And you see, the beginning, really, of making that judgment sound is getting your body to not constantly be driven about by indulgence, by addiction. And as I said before, our problem is we simply don't know the difference. It's, it's old neurological programming in the old part of our brain. And add to that the fact that in the modern world, uh, there is, I think, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, a 100% probability that you are deficient, that you are not adequately nourished. And uh, and so when you look at that, you have a person who truly doesn't have adequate nutrition and is addicted and is looking for the, the fulfilling brain chemistry of the addictive foods and substances. And now you have a person who simply cannot register on their radar the natural, healthy choices they ought to make in order to be well throughout life. So I've written and spoken much about this. And of course, you can find on my website, Enlightened Revolution. I'm sorry. Well, you can go there that way as well. But uh, I've changed the name of the website to soundmountainhealing.com. If you go there, you can find a great deal of information about diet and nutrition and supplementing and how to make it all work. Uh, none of that is going to overcome the fact that our world is such a mess. But... Um, but the reality is that uh, uh, as we as we start moving that direction, we're going to gain the ability to think in terms of what is best for us. And uh, this sort of lays the groundwork, and now I'd like to stack something on top of that. And the thing I'd like to stack on top of that is the history of our food. And I would like to suggest an idea that... You, when you eat a food, you sense the history of it. You, you simply can't help it. It's there. And you respond in part to the history of that food. In uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, 
there is some scripture that is accepted as modern revelation. And uh, uh, among that scripture is a revelation called the Word of Wisdom. And in that Word of Wisdom, there is mention of making sure that you buy certain things from a friend or make it yourself, but never from an enemy. And uh, there's also another reference to that in Doctrine and Covenants section 42, verse 43, uh, where this caution is given. And it's an interesting idea, and one that I believe any sensitive person can arrive at, uh, can conclude the same thing, can arrive at the conclusion that, in fact, uh, we are sensitive to the history of our food, and it affects our behavior and our physiology, and our capacity to digest and use the food, and how well we use it. And so it makes it important for us to pay attention to the history of our food, and to very, very cautiously um, examine where we're getting our food from, and do we want food from that source? If the history of our food matters, if it's also going to impact and affect how we think, how well we use the nutrition in that food, uh, what kind of attitude we have in general in life, do you want to partake of that food at all? And, uh, of course, there are obvious things like uh, genetically modified organisms, which... Obviously, there's a history there that is anything but wise, right? And then we also have many kinds of prepared foods that are prepared with the intention of making them addictive and compelling, but not necessarily healthy. And obviously, you wouldn't want that kind of food. And also the attitude of the people preparing the food. Uh, We had an interesting experience. We opened a little store years ago. And in our little store, we had a little bakery, and I mean, it was a little store too. We were quite successful with it. It took up too much of our time. We needed out of it. We needed to get out of that uh, store in order to continue um, taking care of our family, and we eventually sold it uh, to someone who did something very different. They had a different vision for it. But the point is, for our store, for our vision... The uh, the little bakery, my wife would go in and make these wonderful sprouted grain bakery items and that were the healthiest we could get, all organic. She made these wonderful soups and salads, and you could get smoothies there. And her recipes were one thing, but something that very quickly became obvious, she had a couple of people helping her, and when they were there making the food... I could tell, and anybody coming in could tell, the food simply didn't taste as good. Because my wife, Tracy, loved making the food, and she loved the food. And she was committed and passionate about making it a healthier choice that people would just love and love to have and enjoy the taste of. And it was the healthiest thing we could make in that kind of a setting. Uh, And... It was remarkable how much you could taste it. We had noticed this ourselves um, a few years earlier. We had gone to South Dakota and 
in Rapid City, I think it was, we went to a restaurant run by Seventh-day Adventists. And the community just would get together and make different things to sell at the restaurant, uh, mostly, I think, just lunch. And we went there a couple of times, and we were amazed at how good the food tasted. You could tell these were people, and the Seventh-day Adventists happened to be very passionate and committed to healthier food. They they feel like that is part of their obligation before God to take good care of their bodies, to be good stewards over their bodies. And there is definitely instruction to be found in Scripture on the subject. And they loved it, and they believed in it, and they had faith in it, and they were committed to it, and you could taste it in their food. It was so much better than standard fare. And I submit to you, you could taste the love in the food. I also submit to you that every person is sensitive to the history of their food. And if, and and when that sensitivity comes up, they either perceive it and shy away from it or toward it, or they block it out because they don't really know what to do with that information. If you're going to keep on eating fast food, Uh, you're going to have to block out the history of your food. Uh, There are some fast food restaurants that have pushed back that particular boundary a little bit. And I'm not suggesting their food is healthy, but I'm suggesting you can taste the difference because they are making an effort to surround everyone there with a certain kind of attitude, which is a healthier, happier, more pleasing attitude these restaurants are not not immune from the fact that they're getting junk food that is has a not a very good history itself but everything they do in the restaurant is something better and you can taste it in their food and i'm thinking most notably of chick-fil-a again not good ingredients lots of room for improvement there not a place you want to eat regularly Unless you want to live a nice short life and die a miserable death. But uh, but definitely, definitely you can taste the difference because of the attitude and personality of the employees. And uh, this is something that I have uh, um, thought about a lot. And I feel like we need to be uh, better at being open to sensing the history of our food. And when something just doesn't seem right, when it just doesn't feel taste right then we should abandon that food. Just forget about it. And you yourself, when you're making food, when you're growing food, and I hope you're growing food, when you're preparing, when you're buying food, seek it out from farmers who are committed to that purpose. Um, uh, Grow it yourself and have that kind of commitment to health and vitality and happiness and, frankly, the Enlightened Revolution, which is not about joining me, It's about you becoming a different kind of person who simply cannot be controlled, cannot be lied to, cannot be manipulated, and who is always going to make choices that lead to liberty and peace and and opportunities for all, and that is going to uh, create a world that's not about controlling others, but is about serving and assisting others to make the world better. And uh, that that kind of 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 person will make the current climate of political manipulation and lies and deception 
completely irrelevant. They simply will have no power over that kind of people. And that's what we're to become. We're to, to build that kind of people ourselves if we want a better world. I, I believe myself in the second coming of Christ, but I've always kind of had this feeling, this hunch, that even though we're living in a mess and we need some help to fix it, that really we might have to wait until we get it right, till we start to create a better world ourselves before Christ is going to come and do the rest. I think that's consistent with everything I know about the workings of God with his people, that he expects them to do their part, and then he comes in and helps them. And heretofore, we haven't done much, I think, in the right direction. So uh, we've been kind of just waiting for it to happen, and we need to stand up and go, what can we create differently? And I would invite you to go to my GoFundMe account. If you happen to have money and you want to put it toward a good cause, I have a good cause for you and, uh, and something that I am, am working on, but I need some resources to build it. But it's a, it's, a, it's a home that has an attached, buried greenhouse which can grow enough food for four or five families easily and will also allow that home to be kept warm in the winter and cool in the summer uh, for very little energy. Certainly no need to be hooked to the grid. There's going to be ample energy generated um, passively and with solar, and the structure by design is highly, highly efficient and constructed and set up in a setting that will actually make the planet greener. And that's a lengthy discussion and one that uh, perhaps I will dive, I will deign to, to dis- not deign to discuss, I'd like to discuss it. It's a matter of taking the time uh, from my schedule to discuss it uh, so that we can understand something about how to make our planet greener uh, while we build. Currently, one of the complaints is that as population grows, it threatens the planet. Uh, This is sort of nonsense, since the biggest threat to our planet by far is chemtrails, and that's not population growth. That's nothing happening organically. That is a corrupt government trying to control the world over which they don't really have any right for control. And uh, so there's that. But nevertheless, there is no question at all we could make homes that are absolutely healthy where the inhabitants and i believe with all my heart that sick people make sick decisions and healthy people make healthy decisions and we can make a healthy people thriving insanely thriving i mean much more than we've seen currently in a setting where the air is much cleaner because it's actually uh the home is built as a biosphere and where the the off-gassing comes in the form of things that are going to enrich the soil and cause the microbiome in the soil to thrive. And, and the entire surrounding area is so uh, designed as to create a positive contribution to the microclimate in the area. 
And these are things well within our power. We, we don't need new technology. We don't need some special extravagant invention. We simply need to use what we already have, and we'll find that we can take deserts and convert them into rich, lush, green areas where wildlife thrives and where plants thrive and where the microclimate begins shifting toward a healthier microclimate. And by the way, much like the economy becomes more stable when you have people whose whose ability to live and thrive is all based on stable things. In other words, the crashing dollar won't cause them uh, to not have food, not have livelihood. And these homes, incidentally, are based on that principle as well. Uh, someone living in these homes, uh, they will be able to produce enough food to make their house payment, uh, you know, beyond their, their own needs. And the house itself can be built very inexpensively, cheaper than a regular conventional stick-built house. And yet, it's a beautiful house with ample room and this lovely attached uh, greenhouse, which provides clean air and and a constant temperature to those inside, and uh, <clears throat> and also provides for all of their needs. So here we have a home that where the the inhabitants are basically not subject at all uh, to the um, the whims of the economy. Now, if they want a new car or if they want to travel to, you know, a foreign country or if they want to do uh, some interesting uh, thing like that, of course, they're going to need to come up with more money. They need to work and become industrious to, to buy clothes and, you know, have things that are, that are above and beyond the bare necessities. But the point here is they will have their bare necessities all taken care of. That kind of thing creates stability and an intrinsic stability in the economy of a nation, of a people, of a family, and of the world. And uh, the, the moment we begin moving that way, we will take the instability out of the economy. The economy can still grow because you can always sell people luxuries and extras. People who can thrive will always be interested in buying luxuries and extras. And in advancing our world, those things will all be present. They're not going to go away. But the basic economy becomes stable and uncrashable. And that may not appeal to the, the corrupt uh, shadow governments of the world trying to control everything, right? But to everybody else, it is outrageously appealing. It is the most important thing they can have. They will have health. Therefore, they will make healthier decisions. They will be happier. And their economy will be stable, which will allow them to move forward without fear, to be able to put their efforts into something that is going to make the world better instead of just trying desperately to get ahead so they don't have to stress all the time about the next bill. I think in the modern world, having people stress all the time about the next bill is ridiculous. It's an absurdity. And to make matters worse, we have people who think the solution is causing the government to pay everybody. What an absurd idea. That isn't the answer. It's another one of those high-cost uh, ideas that, that really gives pow more power to the government, which doesn't solve any of the problems. My solution, the Enlightened Revolution solution, 
solves the actual problem. We put individuals in stable situations where they have what they need. And that kind of a world, a world that builds itself that way, uh, will find that war disappears because why go to war? You don't need anything, right? There, there might be the odd religious war here and there, but the wars that happen because people simply do not have the basic necessities of life will go away. And, you know, when you have all of your needs met and you're healthy, the desire to avenge and ruin all that because of the, the anger you have against those who have been fighting against you for so long begins to wane. It may not all disappear in a single generation, might take two or three generations, but we will be creating an environment where there's no reason, really, no intrinsic reason to go to war. And people will not have a need to go and do that. And, uh, but we can only do that if we start down this path and start creating this kind of a world. So my GoFundMe account is based on uh, the funding I need uh, to do some research and development to build, to buy a property where I can build more than one of these houses and then uh, work out what is the very best option. And then subsequently, I won't need any more money because then I will offer to build them for for. For cost, and we'll put together a crew uh, that will hire out to build them, and that will fund the future of this project. And we will put together uh, communities in in deserts uh, with people who are pioneers in this kind of thing, and demonstrate how we can create a much healthier microclimate. And uh, literally, in every way, the environment will get better because of the way we're going to structure these communities. Again, we have all this information. We don't need any new information. What we need is some financial backing and commitment to it. We need to not have to worry about whether it's immediately going to make money, because if we have to worry about that, then we have to worry about resaleability and can the person buy this house and then resell it. No, we need to be able to put this out there initially uh, in a structure that is affordable enough that people aren't worried about that. They're just delighted to be able to move into this level of healthy home and start creating a world that is better. And then we can stop wasting our money on projects that are never going to work, and instead we can put that money toward projects that are definitely going to take the world into the next phase. And the next phase of the world, the next economy, uh, now I, I realize world governments are trying to control this. They're trying to change this so that they can maintain power. But the next phase of the economy I don't know if you can read the writing on the wall or not. I hope that I, I can unveil the writing on the wall to you in the next 30 seconds. The next phase of the economy is simply that there is no control over individuals because individuals have what they need to be healthy and happy and prosperous and have an education. It's all right there for them. They don't need to struggle and stress and fear every day, they can simply um, 
begin living for a different purpose, for a different reason. Now, that makes us uncontrollable. It doesn't make the economy flat. In fact, it makes the economy capable of growing in a different way. Currently, the economy grows based on money exchange. But that would create an economy that would grow endlessly based on intrinsic value. And the next thing that a company would do in order to keep growing would be to improve upon the intrinsic value of what they're what they're offering. And this is a whole different economic structure than the one we're currently in. The one we're currently in is all about exchange and manipulation and debt and payment and extravagant growths of new companies. It's all based on that. It's all based on air, in other words. It's all based on the presentation. It's all based on a, a value that is transient, and it's intended to be transient, so that you can continue uh, to... Uh, you know, overtake uh, economy in huge leaps and bounds, right? You can create wealth and power that way. This is this model of economy I'm presenting here is going to take away that power and it will replace it with this stability and this sense of intrinsic value. Uh, one of the things environmentalists worry about is you know, all the garbage accumulating. And it seems like, you know, they keep coming to the same conclusions. We've got to stop population, you know, or uh, crowd them all in, force them into different behaviors. No, we don't. Those aren't going to be solutions anyway. It's just going to lead to war and it's just going to lead to to hatred and anger and you're not going to solve any of the world's problems. That's a stupid approach. I'm sorry, but it is. It's, it's, not, it's beyond naive, right? It's an absurdity. It's ludicrous. It's never going to work that way. You're just going to end up with a big mess, right? What works is where you answer the needs of the, of the population in an intrinsically valuable way. So a huge portion, I, I'm, I'm going to guess that, uh, that things we throw away because they didn't have intrinsic value, uh, makes up somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of the trash produced in this nation. If our food was produced on site, or in the neighborhood at least, and could be carted down to us, that would get rid of another 10% of the waste in our nation. And we're talking about a population that literally doesn't need any kind of special garbage dump and managing recycling when you reduce it to you know that much becomes very easy to do and very economical and reasonable and it's easy for people to wrap their brain around as as it is right now we have so much trash it's unbelievable there's no need for that right it can completely be solved but we need some support so that we can generate some momentum in a direction that will work. And that's what I'm talking about here. And that's exactly what I need. I need, I need the support. I need the funding that, so that I can create the, the setup, uh, the research and development. And then uh, I need to be able to... Uh, have enough funding to generate some momentum where people start seeing these communities as desirable and moving to them and then 
The rest will take care of itself. Other people will start building them. Other people will improve upon what I'm doing. And we will have this, this flood of intrinsic value. And people buying things for intrinsic value will become the order of the day. And that's going to take a few years. That's not going to happen instantly. But it will happen when you can see the value around you in the intrinsic value, where your home has intrinsic value, your, your, your food production and the environment is improved and all of those things become part of, of how you're living and of what you're doing. You, you stop buying for retail therapy to just buy junk, to just be a consumer. That all goes away. You begin to think in terms of how can I buy so that I can have intrinsic value. So that what I have, is it lasts and it serves me and it doesn't make me a servant. See, that's part of the problem. Like we, 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 we can overcome that and we will overcome it. But we have to do it in steps. And the first step is taking care of the basic needs of people. And then we will start to shift technology and how we do it. We, we don't really need, we're not talking about an insurmountable task. Uh, uh, some people who just want you to believe in the status quo so they can control you would have you believe that having free energy for transportation, for example, uh, or having a technology where you don't rely on an infrastructure for communication, for example, that that's just impossible. No, what they really want is for you to think that it's impossible so you won't go out and do it, right? But the truth is, those are well within our reach, and there are people who've come up with means of doing that long ago, long ago. And we, we the technology is getting better and better. It's something we can definitely do um, uh, within the next decade or so if we will choose it, right? But we have to start by giving people something that will make their lives stable. And uh, there, there may be ways to apply this. Uh, even to the homeless who who aren't going to be able to manage a home, grow a garden, they're not going to be able to do those things. They're they're for whatever reason mentally, emotionally, or socially uh, incapable of doing that kind of thing. This is going to open the door uh, for them to have a step in the right direction to be able to put up mini communities that that will house the homeless and provide them with healthier food and hygiene um, that will make it so that their their situation is not hopeless at all. We may even, for those who cannot handle that, who absolutely need to be transient because they cannot fit themselves into society, and I believe wholeheartedly that those become fewer and fewer as we make a healthier society. But for the moment, there will be those who can't get into society and uh, and we even have transient options. I've already designed, but I need the research and development funding to go forward with it. But I've already designed transient means of, of living uh, where we can l- make them healthier and safer and cleaner and thereby making the whole world safer. And uh, they're going to be you know, there's going to be problems and fallout from the world we've created for some time. I realize it's not going to be like turning off a light switch, but I think it may be surprising how quickly the world changes when we begin to think and build and structure our world in this way and take away the dependence on infrastructure, which basically means 
governmental control and change it to to where every man, woman, and child has what they need. And then the the growth comes from excellence, from achieving something new. And yes, this is my dream. This is my vision. Let's become that kind of a world. We can we can do so much better. And and much of what I I uh, I see and envision uh, is an achievable goal, and is going to take us into a world that I think at the moment we probably can't even imagine, because it is so much better in so many different ways.